0: Just visit AmericaMagazine.org/slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.
1: Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Pope Francis is visiting Hungary and Slovakia next week, and Jerry will be traveling with him. So on this week's show, we're laying out the basics of the trip and the big questions about whether Pope Francis can keep up such a packed travel schedule so soon after his colon surgery. I'm Colleen Deli, this is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from Chicago, Jerry!
2: Good afternoon from sunny and hot Rome. Colleen, what are you doing in Chicago?
1: Well, we came up here to escape from Hurricane Ida, which hit Louisiana, gosh, about a week ago now. So we spent the last week in St. Louis with my parents, and now we're up here to stay with my husband's parents. We're hoping to be back in Louisiana next week, but we've got minimal damage, so so I feel good about our chances of being able to settle back in soon.
2: Good. We've seen all the... Television images of the disaster down that part of the world and on the east coast.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: Here we've sunshine, humid weather, life bursting back to normal in Rome.
1: Jerry, how was your summer? It's so good to hear your voice again.
2: Well, the summer was good. Uh, we we stayed in Italy. We didn't dare go out of Italy. We went to Tuscany and uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks near the beach. Oh, it's it's been it's been relaxing.
1: Nice. And now it's back into the grind. But you actually will be leaving Italy pretty soon because Pope Francis is visiting Hungary and Slovakia from September 12th to 15th, and you're going with him.
2: Yes, I will be on the plane with him. Addio piacendo, mi requiero in Slovakia per fare una visita pastorale. The Pope will leave on Sunday,
1: September 12th and return to Rome on Wednesday, September 15th. He'll have to get an early start on September 12th. His plane is scheduled to depart from Rome's Fiumicino Airport at 6 a.m. and land in Budapest at
2: 7.45.
0: For Hungarians, I think this Eucharistic Congress is in itself a sign of hope. It's a sign, as Cardinal Ardo said, that brings new life and a renewed faith. I think Hungarians are very happy.
1: So a little bit of background on these two countries. Hungary and Slovakia are both majority Catholic countries. And I thought this was an interesting choice for him because we've gotten used to seeing the Pope visit countries with Catholic minorities, right? We've talked about Iraq, the United Arab Emirates, Mauritius, we covered all of those on this show. So why is the Pope visiting these majority Catholic countries, Hungary and Slovakia?
2: I think basically he's very conscious that Hungary and Slovakia were countries which suffered a lot under communism and uh, from the end of the Second World War, that's 1945, until the fall of the Berlin Wall, 1989, effectively 1990, they began to regain their independence. And he's very conscious that they've had a lot of martyrs, given the church a lot of martyrs. They have had a long history of keeping the faith and I think he wants to recognize this. And so he accepted, quite unusually, to go to the closing mass of the Eucharistic Congress in Budapest. That's all he's doing in Hungary. He's going to have a few meetings that morning. In the afternoon, he's going to leave.
1: Right. You mentioned that the Pope is only going to be in Hungary for six or seven hours, maybe, to, to speak at the International Eucharistic Congress. And we should say that's a big gathering of Catholics that happens every few years in different locations around the world. And it's it's centered on the Eucharist. It brings people together to think about, talk about, pray with the Eucharist. So you'll have big open-air masses, you'll have adoration, speeches about the Eucharist, homilies. and And like you said, Popes don't usually go to it. After that brief stop, the Pope is going to spend the other three days of his trip in Slovakia. Why does he want to go to Slovakia?
2: Slovakia is a small country. And as the Pope made clear in a recent interview on Spanish radio, he has made an option to visit the smaller countries of Europe, not the bigger countries. He's had a lot of invitations to Germany, which he loves, to France, to Spain, to all over Europe. But he's, he's opted for the smaller countries, starting with Albania. Then he went to Greece. He's going to go to Cyprus. He's going to go to uh, Malta. Why is that? It's a reach out to the peripheries. Mm. And then there's a second reason, is of course, like Hungary, Slovakia suffered a lot under communism. They had a real hard persecution. And so I think visiting both places is really a tribute to the martyrs and a recognition of their history, the history of what it cost them to believe in Christ, to celebrate the Eucharist, to be together in faith, even despite imprisonment. Some of them were killed, martyred, but all of them had a hard life from 1945 to 1990.
1: So both of these countries have this rich and tragic history with, with the Church facing this persecution under communism. Why then is the time split so unevenly between the countries? Why is it only a few hours in Hungary and a few days in Slovakia?
2: Well, Hungary is first of all seen as a big country, not a small country. Secondly, he was invited to the Eucharistic Congress. He wasn't invited to visit the country, he was invited to the Eucharistic Congress. Whereas in Slovakia, he was had an open invitation to visit the whole country. Got it. Why? Why is that? Well, because the President invited him to visit the country. And he knows the president in Slovakia is very strong in combating corruption in the country. But he also wants to encourage the church in that country, as well, of course, as in Hungary. In Hungary, he's going to meet the bishops. And I'll be very interested in seeing what he says to the bishops in that country. Because in Slovakia, the Catholics are in the majority. In Hungary, they're about 36 to 40 percent of the population. They're both Christian countries. but. Immediately after the war, the fall of the wall of Berlin, there was a big revival of sense of freedom in the church. They were going, doing well, et cetera. And then in these years, since year 2000, I would say, there's been a real process of secularization in both countries.
1: Right. The church is kind of, it was thriving under John Paul II, like a lot of Eastern Europe was able to, and then it started to decline in the years since then. And now we're seeing sort of a parallel with what we see with the United States, where young people are having a really hard time relating to the church. And part of that has to do with politics. The bishops in Hungary, they're a lot more allied with Viktor Orban, the president's uh, anti-migrant policies, his kind of populist politics that he ties religion up into, and and the bishops go along with that. Is Would you say that's accurate?
2: Yes, I mean, in Hungary you've got a population of 10 million people. The government of Viktor Orban, who's governed the country now since 2010, he has linked himself with what was the Christian Democratic Party, and they have used the religious ticket to gain votes and keep in power. And so he's presented Hungary as the defender of Christian values, Christian faith in Europe.
1: So how does that stack up with the president of Slovakia, Zuzana Kaputova? We know that she has a, a pretty good relationship with the Pope and a pretty different politics, right?
2: It's it's a much more open politics in uh, Slovakia, and uh, the church is is in the majority there. Whereas Orbán, Prime Minister Orbán, is not president. He he is closing the frontiers. He, he's putting Hungary on a defensive track. For example, now that uh, there's a possibility of many Afghans coming to Europe he's he's making clear he doesn't want any in the country and he certainly doesn't want muslims the same is not true there's a much greater openness in slovakia
1: do you think that the time difference between these visits uh i know you said it was because the pope was invited to go to this eucharistic congress in hungary and not visit the country but does it does it have political implications too you know can we say that The Pope is visiting Hungary for less time because he wants to maybe give less support to to Hungary and to its bishops and to its politics.
2: It's very interesting. The Hungarian secretary of the International Eucharistic Congress was asked this question recently when we had a briefing. And he said, well, if you invite people to a meal, you don't expect them to stay overnight.
1: (laughs) I guess that's true, yeah.
2: He said, (laughs) well, he's... The President of Hungary and the President of the Bishop's Conference invite, invited him to a meal. Well as I'll say in my article, I'm, it's not so, such a convincing argument. But the first thing is, that the re- real reason the Pope is going to Hungary is for the Eucharistic Congress. I, I don't think he would have gone otherwise.
1: So, we know that papal visits usually have political goals in addition to spiritual ones. So. I remember when the Pope went to Iraq, we talked about how his political goal was to kind of boost Iraq's profile, right? We wanted to he wanted to let Iraq basically prove that it could pull off a papal trip so that there would be more investment in Iraq that could maybe lead to more opportunities for citizens because he wanted to to stem the flow of young people leaving Iraq because they had no opportunities there. We touched a little bit on this already with migration, but what are the key political issues in this, in this papal trip to Hungary and Slovakia? And then what are the goals with those political issues?
2: I think since he's written his encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, we're all brothers, Francis has been pushing this idea. We must recognize each other as brothers. We must open our hearts to them, not build walls, build bridges, not build walls. I, I, I think this will be his message throughout
1: That's his message on migration.
2: And uh, secondly, I I think he wants Hungary and uh, Slovakia to remember that their forefathers gave their lives to keep the faith, and that they gave a great witness to the Catholic Church, to the universal church, to people throughout the world, that they were prepared to die rather than give up their faith in Christ.
1: That sounds more like a spiritual goal than a political goal, right? (laughs)
2: Well, it's, you know, what's politics and what's religion? We're going to a big discussion here, Colleen, because really, I mean, you're talking about the lives of people, how they live, how their country is governed, whether it's open, whether it recognizes other people as brothers and sisters or sees them as enemies. Francis reaches out to other religions, the followers of other religions. Right now, the policy of the Hungarian government isn't exactly that. But, as I said, I think one should remember that at this Eucharistic Congress Mass, there will be what they call a theological symposium before it, at which religious leaders, famous Catholic people, leaders from different countries, like from Myanmar, Cardinal Bo from Myanmar, which is suffering right now, has been invited there, and the Pope will meet him. So too has Cardinal uh, Sacco from Iraq. So too have the Bishop from Cameroon. There's a bishop, a cardinal from Brazil. Francis will meet all these people. And so they have been specifically invited by the Hungarian organizers because they are suffering for the faith.
1: So we were just talking about how there's kind of this question of what is political, what is spiritual, and you know, can they really be separated? And I don't think they can. So going back to the, the spiritual purpose of this trip, you know, we were just talking about the Eucharistic Congress and the fact that the Pope is going there, presumably to to deliver a message about fraternity, about how we're all one in the Eucharist, in the body of Christ, right? Now, as an American listener might might think listening to this story, whenever we hear about communion these days, it's often in the context of what end up being called the communion wars, right? This, this debate among the American bishops with some pushback from the Vatican about whether Catholic politicians should be receiving communion. Does this have anything to do with that?
2: I think you're in very different worlds. Here you've had people who have suffered for the faith, who went to church at risk to their own lives, who went to communion, to mass at risk to their own lives. They have this history. In this discussion with the the Hungarian secretary general of the Eucharistic Congress, the one who's organized the Eucharistic Congress, one American journalist asked, have you been discussing whether we should deny, you should be denying communion to politicians? He He said, this is not a question in our part of the world. It's not even discussed in, in, in the, the theological symposium, it's not our issue. It may be interesting, but it's not our issue. From the Pope's point of view, the question of the Eucharist is that you recognize each other as brothers and sisters, you reach out to people, not close down. And I, I think uh, it'll be very interesting if the Pope is asked the question, I think he, the, the people will see very quickly, he wants to build bridges, not walls. And the Eucharist is about building bridges.
1: And it seems like a a thread kind of going through both the Pope's response to the communion wars in the US and his visit to Hungary and the tensions with the Orban government's kind of priorities uh, is that the Pope is really against the politicization of religion, the politicization of the church, right? This Fratelli Tutti message, as much as people might Think of it as being, you know, a progressive agenda or whatever. It really goes beyond politics and it's all about just understanding one another as brothers and sisters. And, you know, yes, then you eventually have your politics be informed by that, but politics are not the starting point. The the faith and the community, the sense of community are.
2: I, I think the Pope will be very, very clear. I mean, if you look back, what did he say in Iraq? What did he say when he went to to the Arabian Peninsula, the first pope ever to go there? It was all about, you know, we must recognize that we're brothers and sisters. And it, it's a difficult message for people, especially in polarized political society. And uh, the, there's a certain polarization of pol- politics in Hungary, as there is in the United States, but there, perhaps more in the United States. I think the Pope is, his message is very clear. We are brothers and sisters, and we have to learn to respect and treat each other as such. We may have different ideas about resolving concrete, particular questions, but the basic fundamental message of the gospel is this.
1: Right, and we'll probably hear a lot more of that on this papal trip. So, after the break, Pope Francis is still recovering from colon surgery, and we're still in a global pandemic. We'll talk about the perils of a busy travel schedule for an 84-year-old pope.
2: puedo comerte todo.
1: So last week, Pope Francis revealed in a long interview with a Spanish radio station that he had had 13 inches of his intestine removed in an operation this summer in July for diverticulitis, which is a a narrowing of the intestine. It's fairly common, but... The Pope said that he still considers himself to be recovering. He's on a limited diet. He shouldn't be going full speed. Jerry, you've been on a bunch of these papal trips, and they're always a whirlwind. But you also traveled with John Paul II through his sickness. And I'm wondering if the schedule for Hungary and Slovakia looks to you like the schedule of a, a sick pope or a pope in recovery, or if it looks more like the pope's previous trips
2: well the schedule was done made before his operation essentially and what i've picked up in these days is that instead of reducing it then he may add one or two things
1: oh my goodness
2: so it is certainly not the program of a sick pope mm-hmm. this is yes he's two months into his recovery he admits that he's in still in the process of recovering he says i can eat everything now oh good he said i couldn't do this before but it it will be Energy draining for him. There's no doubt about this. Mm -hmm. For us on the plane, when we travel with him, I've traveled now with three popes, and this is really the most exhausting pope to travel with in terms of (laughs) the hours that you can manage to sleep or the time you have between events. It really is exhausting. But he says he wants to make the most of the time he's got, and so he's pushing. He's the one who's pushing. I think his advisors would say, well, add an extra day. Then we'll have a more rational program.
1: Right, loose loose loosen the schedule.
2: He's got extraordinary physical energy. He he will be 85 in December, remember? I think we don't have too many specimens of people who are dashing around the world at this speed. This is his, I think, 34th foreign trip. And he will have done, is it, 52 countries when he's finished this. And he's got another four countries planned to visit before the end of the year.
1: Right. You mentioned that he's eighty-four right now. That was how old John Paul II was when he died, and Benedict was eighty-five when he resigned, and and he said that these these very busy papal trips were a a factor in his decision. You know, I, I do wonder about these are pretty grueling. They can take a toll. Is there any question of of, you know, could events be canceled during this trip? Can he handle the the papal flight press conference?
2: We'll have to see what happens. I mean, obviously there will be enormous interest in what's happening. They say already 400 journalists are going to be in Bratislava for his arrival.
1: 400. Wow.
2: My estimation, he's he feels pretty confident that he can do it. When he comes back, I mean, the things that I see are problematic. Is at the beginning of the when we get on the plane. He comes back and he spends about an hour or 40 minutes going around greeting people. Now the plane is shifting and moving. For somebody who's had that kind of operation it may not be the most advisable thing. And then at the end he, do, he will do the, the flying time is short so he will do a press conference maybe 20 not more than 30 minutes for sure. But he will be standing up at the front and again we we'll are travel over the Alps so the plane will uh, be bouncing a little, I suspect, as so often that is the case in such flights. And it's going to be a challenge to his physical condition. He feels confident he can do it. And as he says when he was asked, you know, how, where do you get the energy? And he says, well, it comes with the grace of office.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I remember that. Yeah. I, I think that he's probably also conscious that if he were to cancel an event in the middle of the trip, That would overshadow the whole trip. So that that might be a motivating factor too.
2: Certainly, it could become the story, but he he must feel he's well aware of it. If you listen, if you read what he actually said in the Spanish uh, interview, he said, uh, I I am recovering, I know that I have to be careful, but. And then he he laughs, he says, Well, you'll see the the trip will go like the other ones. Quizás este primer viaje un poco más, porque. Another important
1: health question for this trip is that we're still in the midst of the COVID pandemic. So in terms of precautions for that on this trip, we know that the Pope and those traveling with him are vaccinated. We had that taken care of before the Iraq trip in the spring. We know right now that for the events in Slovakia, only vaccinated people, people with a negative COVID test or people who can prove they've recovered from COVID in the last 180 days can come to the events. What about in Hungary? It seems a little less clear now.
2: Well, in Hungary, uh, about I think about 60% of the population have been vaccinated. The government doesn't seem to have put down any restrictions in terms of attending mass in Hero Square, you you could get up to, according to the organizers, maybe as many as a hundred thousand at the mass. Now, will it be possible for them to respect distance, wear masks? I mean, here in Italy, in the churches, we still wear masks, and the distance is respected. Uh, whether that's the case in Hungary, we'll we'll see on the day.
1: Right. I remember at the Iraq trip, there were a lot of these big open air events as well, and you know. Any efforts to enforce distance were not respected. But we also didn't see a big spike in COVID cases uh, after that. Obviously, things are a little different with the variant. So yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see how, how that goes. So we have a few, few big questions here. The COVID restrictions, the Pope's health, and I think looking forward, Pope Francis has committed to going to four countries between now and December. So there's going to be this ongoing question about the Pope's health and whether he can keep up this very busy travel schedule. Jerry, I'm looking forward to talking with you about that in future weeks and uh, safe travels to Hungary and Slovakia. I'm looking forward to hearing about it.
2: Thank you. And I hope you soon get back to Louisiana.
1: Oh, me too. Our listeners can follow along with Jerry's coverage of the Pope's trip to Hungary and Slovakia at americamagazine.org, and you can get live updates from Jerry by following him on Twitter at JerryO.Rome. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow Inside the Vatican on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. If you want to support our show, the best way you can do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine, which you can do at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.